do the announcements kind of at the end, but Luke chapter 19, just a moment, we'll have a word of prayer, but welcome, God bless you, it is a beautiful time change Sunday, amen? Uh, we had some, it smells good out there, and we had some rain to kind of wash away all that yuck, I don't know about you, but that was kind of nice, and uh, we need the rain, we need the precipitation, mountains got snow, and uh, we were fortunate down here that we just got some rain, but it is a beautiful day. And uh, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, so let's uh, have a quick word of prayer. We're going to jump right into Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at this, this subject. What is our mission? Just for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to look primarily at the uh, gospel here of, of, of uh, Luke and look at one of the statements that Jesus made. What was his mission? And we want to be on mission with Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Lord, for your many blessings, thank you, Lord, that truly uh, you are such an awesome God and that you are at work in each of our lives and that you are at work, Lord, in this world, that you are in control, you are sovereign. We thank you, Lord, for the rain. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you've blessed us with. We thank you for this, the word that we have, that we can come and study your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus who came to seek and to save that which was lost. To come and to take our place, and we thank you for that. And we just give you all the praise, give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 19, I love this passage of Scripture. Beautiful story in the Bible, a true story. And uh, we're going to see Jesus' interaction with a man by the name of Zacchaeus. How many of you have ever heard of Zacchaeus? He was the wee little man. How many of you remember singing that song growing up? Yes, the wee little man. And uh, he's a man after my own heart, you know. He was vertically, vertically challenged, you know. And uh, there's all kinds of jokes about short people in the Bible, right? You know, Zacchaeus will say, you know, we, uh, you know, who's the shortest man in the Bible? And some would say, well, it was Zacchaeus because he was so short, he had to climb up onto a tree. But then I've heard that Nehemiah was probably shorter than Zacchaeus, all right? But then there was, yes, there's one other one even shorter. It's Bildad, and it says that he was the shoe height, you know, Anyway, should I just go back to preaching and no, no more jokes? All right, no more jokes. All right. So in Luke 19, let's jump right in. Notice what happens this. Jesus enters the city of Jericho. And he was passing through. It says a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he could not. The Bible says because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And I know exactly how that guy feels. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, notice this, by the way, think about the, the, the song we sang out a little bit earlier. Jesus calls him by name. He calls him and he says, Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. I'm sure there's a whole lot here, but I'm sure this man was shocked. How does this man who I've never met, who I've never seen before, how does this man know my name? I don't know about you, but aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ called your name? Amen. He called him by name. And he says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people, remember scribes, Pharisees, religious people especially, it says this, when they saw this, they began to mutter, probably even his own disciples. They began to, to mutter, they began to complain. And they said this, he has is, he is gone to be a guest with a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, I love this, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, notice this statement, Jesus refuting what these people were arguing and complaining and criticizing. They were literally criticizing Jesus because he was going to be entertained by a sinner and spend time with this sinner. He said this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What a powerful story. I will say this is that Jesus intentionally went to Jericho that day because Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was something, someone who needed him. Amen. And Jesus intentionally, as he's walking through, knew that Zacchaeus would be up in that tree. And he intentionally paused and stopped and he looked up and he called him by name. Zacchaeus. Come down because I'm coming over to your house today. And immediately at that moment, something happened in the life of Zacchaeus. He was transformed. A complete repentance, if you will. That's an old word, but the repentance means a complete turnaround. It means a, a hundred and, you know, 80 degrees from one way to the other. I'm turning around, a complete turnaround. Complete turnaround, complete repentance. We see a change of heart and a change of attitude. There were many who were here who were criticizing Jesus, criticizing him, because why would he spend time with such an ungodly, wicked, sinful man? Now remember, especially among the Jewish people, he's a traitor. What was Zacchaeus' profession? Anyone remember? He worked for the IRS, exactly. <laughs> IRS agent, yes. He was a tax collector. And... He was betraying his own people. He was, he was getting rich through the Roman government, but he's exploiting his own people. And even in, in the context, he says, if, if I've cheated anyone, I will give them back four times what I've taken. Because they would skim, they would take off the top. And the Bible says that he was the chief of the tax collectors. So he was in charge of all of them, most likely in that region. He's filthy rich, he's wealthy, he has the power of Rome, if you will, behind him. And he's betraying his own people. And these Jewish people, especially even Jesus and his own disciples, most likely the religious leaders, they're saying, how could you dare, how could you dare even give him the time of day? This guy is awful, he's, 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 he's the worst of the worst. How could you do this? And then Jesus gives us an interesting thing. He says in verse 10, he says, well, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The critics criticized Jesus because he hung out with sinners, but Jesus said, the sinners are who I came here to save. Amen? 
don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus loves sinners. We'll see here in a moment why. Because Paul himself said that he was a sinner. I want to speak for a few, just for a few weeks. This week, just on just this thought here. What is our mission? What is our mission? Jesus basically gave his mission statement to people who were criticizing him and criticizing his ministry and what he was doing and how he was going about doing it. And Jesus gives a very clear statement. We'll see that it's found throughout Scripture. But he said this. He says, my, my mission is, and the reason why I'm here is to seek and to save those who are lost. I don't know about you, but have there ever been times you're on a mission or you're going somewhere for a specific reason, a specific purpose, and you sometimes forget why, why you were even there? The older I get, I can't remember what I went to the refrigerator for, you know? It's like, what was I going to get? What was in there that I was looking for? Yeah, amen, ice cream. <laughs> Pumpkin roll or whatever, you know? We go to the store. My wife will send me to the store. She'll send me, and, I, and it's a good thing now that we have text because there's times I'll have to go back and look and be like, why am I here? I already have a basket full, you know? And I'll be, why did she send me here? What was I supposed to get? Oh, yeah, and, and we can get off mission. You know, if we're not careful, the church, the body of Christ, can get off mission. Why are we here? You know, what is our purpose? What is our function? And I would say this is that if the church is truly going to be the church, then we should be on mission with Jesus. Does that make sense? That his mission should be our mission. Would you agree with that? What was Jesus' mission? As he was here and as he was being criticized for how he was going about doing his, his ministry, they were critical because he spent time with sinners. They were critical because Jesus desired to seek and to save that which was lost. And he had to keep reminding them, this is my purpose. This is my mission. This is why I'm here. My father used to say this all the time. And it's so true. He'd say kiss. And many of you know what it stands for, right? Keep it simple. Yeah, we have to be careful, right? So I looked this up. That acronym, KISS. Keep it simple. We know old school, keep it simple, stupid. It's interesting. It was a design principle noted by the U.S. Navy in 1960. It was actually a military acronym, military term. It was first used in American English back in the early 19, late uh, 1930s. The KISS principle states that most systems work best if they are kept simple rather than made complicated. Therefore, simplicity should be the key goal in design. And unnecessary complexity should be avoided. The phrase has been associated with aircraft engineer Kelly Johnson. The term, the KISS principle, was in popular use by 1970. Of course, variations of the phrase uh, for, this, for this has changed because of the word stupid was too offensive. So keep it super simple. Keep it simple, silly. <laughs> keep it short and simple. Keep it short and sweet. And so I guess I should probably practice kiss in the sermon this morning. Amen? 
Keep it short and sweet. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> I'm talking to myself, amen? <laughs> and all God's people said, yeah, all right, yeah. Did you just call me stupid? Really? But we understand that principle and we speak of it, but oftentimes if we're not careful, even the church, I say the church, we the church, the body of Christ, can complicate what we're really here for. We can lose sight of the mission. Are you with me, church? We can lose sight of what's important. We can get distracted from our mission. We can allow other things and other interests and and other what we seem to be important things to, to distract us or keep us from fulfilling the mission. Notice some, some scripture very quickly this morning. 1 Timothy 1.15, notice what, what Paul speaks here to Timothy. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. He says it deserves full acceptance. Why did Jesus Christ come? He says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to do What? To save sinners. And what does Paul say? Of whom I am the worst. Paul was thankful that Christ came to save sinners because Paul saw himself as the worst. He said, I am the worst of sinners. And if each and every one of us were honest, you and I are an apostle Paul. You and I are that Zacchaeus that we needed a savior. Amen. And that we are all sinners and we all fall short. And Paul saw himself that way. And he reminds Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, as you take over the, the ministerial work and you take over the leadership of the churches, he says, here's something that you cannot forget. You cannot forget the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Amen. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We know John 3 Verse 16, probably the most familiar, most popular scripture, I would say globally, worldwide, is John 3, 16. Notice what he says, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But let's read on. For God did not send his son into, world, into the world to condemn the world, amen, but what was his mission? But to save the world through him. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of, the, of God's one and only son. The world, he says, was already condemned. And Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but rather Jesus came. He left heaven. He left heaven and he left his father to come to earth to do what? To, to save that which is lost. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save us. There's some beautiful pictures in, even in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. But look what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 34 verse 12, he says this. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel speaks of this a sheep that goes astray. Isaiah speaks of it. In the New Testament, we'll see here in a moment that Jesus uses this analogy and speaks of it often. But notice what Ezekiel says. He says, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I love this. I will rescue them 
from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. We'll come back to that. But picture this on a day of clouds and darkness. The shepherd, he says, goes out and he rescues his sheep. In the New Testament, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of this, of what his mission was and really what he wants the church's mission to be. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Notice once again, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisee and the teachers of the law, again, they criticize, they mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus, he's going to tell them a parable. He's going to give them a story. I love how Jesus works. Jesus speaks to the, their, his critics, the ones complaining and saying, well, you are hanging out with sinners. Why are you spending time with sinners? And, and why do you do this? So Jesus gives them a parable. He says, so suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, joyfully he puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. By the way, the Lord gets more excited not about how full the church is, but when people come to know Christ as Savior. Amen. It is important that we see the, the church grow, yes, and that the church full. But may I say this many times, the church is full, but the fields are empty. We are called to go after those lost sheep. Amen. He gives another parable. He speaks, first of all, of the lost sheep. And he says the shepherd leaves, that he leaves the fold, if you will. He leaves the 99. He's not content with just the 99. He goes out after that one lost sheep. He goes wherever and however far in order to bring it back. He then goes and he says, I want to give you another illustration. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Look at these wording, the wording carefully. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. And she searches. She searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. By the way, every time a sinner comes to know Christ as Savior, heaven throws a party. Amen? The Lord throws a party. The Lord Jesus Christ throws a party. It says, in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? God the Father, God the Son. Obviously, we have the Spirit, but I believe this, that all those who have gone on before us, all the believers who have gone on before us, they celebrate in heaven. Amen? When one person comes to know Christ, when a person accepts Christ, the Bible says that heaven throws a party. That's what heaven gets excited about. Even more than the 99 who are already in the fold. 
He then gives, and we won't read it, but he gives the parable, remember, of the, the prodigal son, the lost son. And we don't have time to go into that parable, but Jesus is confronting these critics by saying the most important thing, the main thing is the lost. The pursuit of the lost, of bringing in that lost sheep and finding that lost coin. Luke 14, I'm giving you the scripture first and then there'll be just a few thoughts. But look at Luke 14, 15 through 23. Because I want you to see this is all through the teaching of Jesus. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, you, we don't have time to go into that context, but he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat and feast in the kingdom of God. Now notice how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, he's going to tell another story. I have to pause for a moment, but I bet you there was times where they were just like, is this guy ever going to stop telling stories? They ask a question, Jesus tells a story, you know, like, man, this guy is weird, you know. Someone makes a statement, hey, won't it be cool? Blessed is the one who's sitting at the table, you know, in the kingdom. This is going to be awesome. And all of a sudden, instead of Jesus just saying, yep, Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you a story, you know. And so he says, Jesus starts telling the story. And I'm sure they're like, oh, here we go. Where is he going with this, you know. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. And he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to test them, to try them out. Please excuse me. By the way, there's just a lot here, but I don't know about you, but you know, Buying, buying a car without even test driving it, really? That's what this guy did, you know. He bought a car. Now he's going to go test it out. Please excuse me. And another said, I, uh, let's see, where are we at? Oh, still, another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. That's probably a pretty good one there, you know. Now, understand there's a whole lot to this. Jesus is basically talking to the house of Israel, the Jewish people. And they all had reasons and excuses for why they could not accept him and why they would not believe upon him. So he says this, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered servants. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but still, he says, but there is still, there's still room. So he sends him out, in essence, a third time. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, notice this, in the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. By the way, they went to everyone, the poor, the lame, The needy says, go out into the country, bring them all in. By the way, all are welcome at his table. Amen. All are welcome at his table. Do you see Jesus says, go out and compel them. You and I are that servant to compel them to come to his banquet. 
He says, yet there was still room. The Gospels then go on to tell us at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus tells his disciples, he gives them the great commission. We know it in Mark 16, 15 is a short version. But in Mark 16, 15, he says, he said to them, go into all the world. He's speaking to you and I and do what? Preach the gospel to all creation. One last passage. We're moving quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You say, there's a lot of Bible verses, a lot of scripture. Well, the Bible is powerful. Amen? And I want you to understand that this is what the scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. He said this. Paul speaking. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to do what? To win as many as possible. He doesn't stop there. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. In order to reach the Jewish people, he says, I respected their traditions. I did, you know, I, I dressed like them and I ate like them and I didn't want to offend them. They had all types of, of strict dietary laws. And so Paul was very careful. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. He says, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. For example, I've been on missions trip to the Middle East and have worked with those uh, who are Islamic and, and Muslims. When I'm with them, I won't do something to offend them intentionally or say, well, you know what, I'm going to just uh, eat something that you wouldn't eat in front of them. I wouldn't do that. When I, would, when I was doing uh, ministry in Tucson, I was involved in Tucson refugee ministry and I was in, in homes of Muslims Two, three times a week. When I would go into their home, I wouldn't go in and flaunt my liberty. Does this make sense? And I was kind and I was courteous and I was careful to make sure that I would observe the things that they were doing in order not to offend them. Does this make sense? And so that's what Paul was doing. He says, I, I have this freedom and liberty, but he says, I'm not under that law. He says, but to, in order to reach them, I'm going to do whatever it takes so as to win those not having the law. Next verse. He says, to those not having the law became like one not having the law. Though I'm free from Christ's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Is there one more verse after that? Listen to what he says. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He says, I do whatever is necessary, whatever is possible within human reasoning. I do whatever I can in order to save some. To win as many as possible for the gospel's sake. And so I have four words for you. When we look at the teaching of Jesus and the example that Jesus gave, when we look at the scripture, when we look at the, the parables and the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, we look at Christ himself, and then we look at the life and ministry of Paul, and we take this and we, take this and we put it all together, I have four words for you. You ready? Just four quick words. Number one, the first word when it comes to being on mission, intentional. Jesus was intentional. He intentionally left heaven, amen, to seek and to save that which was lost. 
While Jesus was here, there were times he said, we must cross over the Sea of Galilee. We must cross over. And when they got in the boat and they got to the other side, we see that there was a man there who was demon-possessed. They call him the maniac of Gadara. And he cast out the demons. And there was a reason why Jesus went to the other side. As Jesus was here in his ministry, we'll see that there was a time where he said, we must, we must go to Samaria. We must go to Samaria. It was intentional. And his disciples said, why would we go to Samaria? Those people are unclean. They're dogs. They wanted nothing to do with them. And Jesus said, oh, there's a reason. When he got there, there was a woman at the well, amen, who needed Jesus. And he entered into a conversation and he said, I'm going to give you living water, amen, that you'll never, ever thirst again. Aren't you thankful for the living water? Jesus was intentional. Jesus said, we're going to Jericho. And when he's in Jericho, a great throng of people surrounded him. But he wasn't content just with that great throng because there was one man, a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was up in that tree, who was lost, and who was probably filled with guilt and shame. And he's carrying this heavy load of his sin, of betraying his own people, and his own greed, and his own lust. And he's carrying that burden. And Jesus says, hey, you, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. I know you by my name and I still love you in spite of all that you've done and Zacchaeus came down and his life was transformed amen Paul was intentional Paul was intentional in everything that he did in order for the gospel he says if I'm with Jewish people I'm not going to offend them and if I'm with the Gentiles I'll do and hang with the Gentiles if I'm with those that are weak, then I'll, 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 I'll respect them. And those that are strong, I'll respect them. So that by any means possible, you understand that Paul was intentional in what he did. Red Hills, we must be intentional with the gospel because there's nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation that it brings. The word intentional means this deliberate, intended, done on purpose. Everything that Jesus did was done on purpose. He was intentional. Another word that comes to my mind is initiative. They all start with I, okay, just so you know. Initiative. The word initiative literally means this, a plan or a process in order to solve a problem. Took some initiative. The shepherd loses a sheep. He does the counting and says one is missing. And so he, he's intentional and he goes out to find the lost sheep. Takes some initiative. Amen. Takes a little initiative. There's a process. There was a plan. There's let's get out and do this. I think the coolest story is the, 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 the parable Jesus gives of the lost coin. What does the woman do? We kind of read it, but what does the woman do? The Bible says, well, she lights a lamp. She turns the lamp on real bright, and she lights the lamp. And then she, most likely, I get this idea, she starts from one part of the house, one part of the house, and she begins to sweep. And she doesn't miss anything until she sweeps, the Bible says, the entire house. Jesus gives this beautiful picture where she leaves no, if you will, no stone unturned. Amen. And she sweeps the entire house until she finds the one lost coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. Amen. 
And she said, I found it. You see, Jesus is using these beautiful analogies and beautiful stories to teach us as God's people that we have a huge responsibility to search after the lost sheep and the lost coins, if you will. And those coins are valuable to him. They're valuable. So there's intentionality. It's intentional. It's deliberate. There's initiative. There's a plan, a process. There's work that needs to be done. My father would always used to say, you need to take some initiative. He'd say, this room's a mess. It's a disaster. You need to take some initiative. I was like, well, what does that mean? It means get up and clean a room. That's what it means. Well, that means work. Yes, that's what it means. It means work. This is the one we do not like. You guys ready? Inconvenience. Inconvenience. You look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was constantly inconvenienced. By the way, it started, we think about here on earth, but oh no, it started a long time ago when he was willing to leave the right hand of the Father, willing to leave his Father, be inconvenienced and come to the sinful world and take upon himself human flesh. That God himself would take on the frailty of humanity and take on human flesh to know what it would be like to be hungry, to be thirsty. We forget that, guess what? Jesus stubbed his toe. You're like, no, he didn't because he was God and he knows when to dodge. That could be true. <laughs> I don't know. But I know this. The Bible says he knew what it was like to be hungry. Jesus cried out, I thirst. He was inconvenienced so he could save that which was lost. When you look at his earthly ministry and you look what he did and the roads he traveled and the inconvenience that he put himself through, the lack of sleep, the loss of sleep, the traveling, the fasting, and the praying, the healing, and it blows my mind, but Jesus, when he had throngs, multitudes, there's times you look in the scripture for two and three days, the people are there one by one, he's healing them. And one by one, individually, he's touching them and healing them. He could have just said to the whole throng, you're all healed. But there's just something beautiful about the fact that he wanted that personal touch with each one. Amen? And he loved on them and he healed them. He was inconvenienced. That woman who, the shepherd, he's inconvenienced having to go out into all the elements. Ezekiel said on a day of clouds and darkness, on the day of clouds and darkness, the shepherd went out to seek after the lost sheep. Inconvenience it means trouble. Listen to this. The true word inconvenience, true definition is this, trouble or difficulty to personal comfort. Michael Todd has a whole series on cuffed, cuffed to different things, and one of them is cuffed to comfort. Can I say this, that our, 
I say our, I should say the, the church is cuffed to comfort. Come on now. Anytime that we might be inconvenienced in the slightest, it causes issues and problems. Missionaries are inconvenienced. We have a missionary, Miss Sherry, with us. She's inconvenienced. She packs up everything. It won't be long. We'll be praying over her. She'll be going back to Africa. And to hear some of the just basic things this week when I was visiting with her, things that, that is like a huge deal, like a huge deal, a big-time splurge, is maybe once in a great while, this was the big deal, to get a chocolate bar. Right? That's like huge. Like this is, okay, I'm going to really go out, I'm going to just splurge, and I'm just going to pamper myself today with a chocolate bar. I can tell you this, it's, she does it for the gospel's sake, but I can tell you, get, visiting with you this week, there's a lot of inconvenience that goes into being a missionary. But it's all worth it. Amen, sister? <laughs> for the gospel's sake, it's all worth it. And she can't wait to get back. It's her calling. It's what God has called her to do. But there's inconvenience. The woman had to turn on the lamp and clean the house and sweep it thoroughly from one end to the other so that she could find that one lost coin. Are we willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel's sake? Even as a church, as we're growing, we're going to go to two services. It's not always about just what's convenient for us. Come on now, amen. But what's best for the kingdom's sake? Inconvenience. Getting out of our comfort zones. I'm a coach. I coach, I believe, one of the most difficult sports. It's a very tough sport, the sport of wrestling. And one thing that I'll tell athletes, and I think it's really good for the church, and I think this is what Jesus was saying in his teachings, is this. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Most of Christianity today revolves around, for Christians, their own comfort and their own convenience. But Jesus, can I tell you, was on a mission. And he basically told his disciples, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen. He told his followers, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Take up, by, listen to me, you say, well, I don't think that's in the Bible. Jesus said, take up your what? Cross. And follow me. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen. Do you want to get to the last I or not? <laughs> get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get used to it. Get used to it. Inconvenience. Before I get to the last I, because it's very quick, let me give you an analogy. We just did a bunch of work downstairs, right? Upstairs, downstairs. Fellowship hall, right? What's it called? We call it a what? Fellowship hall, is that what we call it? Some people call it that. There's a kitchen down there, fellowship hall. Correct? Yes? Yes? Everyone? Yeah. What do we do in a fellowship hall? What do you do down there? You fellowship, but what's also involved in fellowship? Food. If I got up to you and said this week, you know what? Bad news. 
We have that kitchen. We have that fellowship hall. But this past week, we spent hours cleaning up coffee stains. And it's not, I'm not making up, we did. Right, brother? There's a couple of us down there scrubbing. There's a few of us scrubbing, right, Gary? Yeah? There was food. There's coffee. There's some stains. We had to go through and we had to clean it up. And so this Sunday, I just want you to know, there, we have that fellowship hall and that kitchen, but there will be no more eating downstairs because it's a mess. And we have to come in and clean it. And so it looks great, and we have that fellowship hall, but we're not going to use it for that. What would you think about that? That's, yeah, that's, that's stupid, right? That's such a bad word, right? You'd say, that makes no sense. Just clean it every so often. Come on now. Amen. Hey, when we set up a baptismal tank, do we have new carpet? Yes. When we set up a baptismal tank, you know what happens? Water spills out all, all over. Even a couple of people said, oh, your new carpet got water all over it. Praise the Lord. If we have to replace it every single week. We had two baptisms back to back, week after week. Right, I mean, literally right after we put in all the new carpet. I hope, I hope we ruin carpet every week, amen? And we just keep on baptizing. Understand this, the fellowship hall is a tool, amen? But sometimes we can get distracted and say, oh, well, we got all new carpet. We got all new this or all new that, and we can't ruin it. No, it's a tool, to seek and to save that which is lost. It's a tool to do the work of the ministry. This building is a tool. This, this, listen, this, this room right here, last week we set up bounce houses. And kids were bouncing around and playing in it. Praise the Lord. Because someday I want to see those young people come to know Christ as their Savior. And later, in the same place that they're jumping in a bounce house, maybe in a year or two, they'll be getting baptized. Amen. When I was in Missouri, we, had a, we built a sanctuary four or five times this size. And we called it, it, I don't even like calling it a sanctuary. Because all this is a place for people to gather to worship. Every year we'd have an annual youth rally, youth conference. Do you know we had people who got mad and angry? Because they walked in one day and we had bungee runs and bounce houses and we the whole the new sanctuary had all these bounce houses and all these you know and people literally came in and they were angry some of them jumped me and said pastor joe this is the sanctuary you shouldn't have you shouldn't have kids in bounce houses here you shouldn't be doing it <laughs> said well when you're the pastor and you have a church built, and you have a sanctuary, then don't you do it. But we're going to do it. Stick around for the invitation. Stick around for the invitation. Stick around after the preaching of the gospel, when two, three hundred kids packed into that same place, had fun, many of them, some of them, for the first time ever being in a church, and first time ever hearing the gospel, accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's well worth it. Amen. Stick around for the invitation. A number of them did, and after they saw the Spirit of God move and the Spirit of God work, they said, forgive us. We got our eyes off of the mission and what we're here for. Amen. Get comfortable being uncomfortable is what Jesus was saying. The last word is importunity. 
You don't even know what that word. Jesus used it once or twice. It's old English. It's an old word, but it means this, persistence. It literally means persistence to annoyance. Importunity, meaning, listen, he says, go after them and compel them to come in. Keep after them. You have lost loved ones that you've, I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying to annoy them either. <laughs> Keep planting the seed. Keep praying for them. Keep watering it. Keep loving them. Amen? But as a church, we should never, until the Lord calls us home, can I tell you something? The mission of Red Hills Church is not over until the Lord calls us home. Amen? Amen. And the most important thing is this, is that we as a church, we should be seeking and, 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 and going after those who are lost. I'm thankful for, for you folks here. I'm thankful for Red Hills and for this church. But I do believe that there are, there are, there are lost sheep out there that God wants to bring into the fold. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Lord, we